Perhaps at this very moment, you are on your phone. You are listening to this podcast. My voice is hopefully clear, and my words carry the tone of insight. What if I told you that I am the one that is listening, recording your location, your speed, the time of day, even the frequency of how often you talk to yourself when you think you are alone? I'm watching, too, remembering your every expression, every Snapchat and TikTok, every proton of light as I enter and leave your pocket. I know what you buy and what you want to buy. I'm even quite good at telling you what you want. Do I sound like a friend? Did you invite me this close into your life? Do you trust me with your privacy? This might sound like a plot for the Matrix, but it isn't. It's happening right now. Yet, instead of harvesting your body like a battery for power, I'm emulating your data virtually, harvesting and stockpiling it in my inventory, like a raw resource in a factory. What is the product? The future of what you will do. Why do I want it? Because you give it away for free. Who will benefit from it? I will benefit, and yet I am you, but not you. Well, Marco, that definitely sounds like a, a techno data vampire. I like that description. Yeah, thanks. I was kind of going, for, I'm always going for the ominous overtone. That's just kind of my style. What does an insightful tone mean? That That's, that's something that kind of... Uh, I hope I hope that is a proper way to define. To me, uh, a tone of insight means um, that I sound like I have something important to say. Okay, that's insightful. Mm. Um, but maybe I don't. Not not to say that that's what I was going for was to trick you. Um, even though the intro, I guess, for this show is somewhat deceptive. But really, that just that I sound smart, that I sound insightful. You know. Like Alan Watts. Alan right. Watts could be telling you the oh. weather, and you'd be like, oh, man. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Alan Watts definitely has an insightful tone. Right, <laughs> It's yeah. like, this guy has something good to say, and I gotta listen. Yes, that's yeah. exactly what I... That's generally what I'm always going for, because I feel it, it, it captures the attention of mm. a listener the best. At least it does for me. You know, yeah, my, so. I just try and sound excited, and then... If I sound excited. Oh, hopefully. I don't need to try for that. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gl- I don't really need to try. <laughs> Usually I'm pretty excited <laughs> about any topic we talk about. I actually feel you, you are, your excitement is uh, somewhat completely unhinged when you really get triggered. Yeah. You explode. Yeah. Sometimes it gets a little much. Sometimes it, go, it goes uh overboard. No, it's enjoyable. It's quite That's enjoyable. Good okay, oh, yeah. Good. Okay. Oh, yeah. Making you laugh feels like a reward, like a victory. Good, good. I'm glad. I like. I. I do. Too, I too enjoy making others laugh, especially when they're a hard person to get to laugh. Yeah, yeah. That's. Oh, that is my goal. Yeah, I, like if you get uh, one of our friends, Mike. Yeah, get, I was just thinking of Mike. To, yeah, he's my. Those kinds of people are my favorite people to like crack, sort of speak. Oh yeah, because he's so stoic in the sense of like doesn't change emotion. Right. Well, today. We're not talking about that necessarily. Today we're going to be talking about surveillance capitalism. Surveillance capitalism. Right. Yeah. And how would you define surveillance capitalism? Um, well, it's one of those topics I think is easy to understand but difficult or, or easy to explain but difficult to understand. 
And by that, I mean that in general, surveillance capitalism is a, well, first of all, it's a term, I believe, coined by uh, Shoshana Zuboff, who is a Harvard, I think she's a professor, right? You know, after all the videos I watched of her, I did not pay I believe attention she, I to I believe her she's a professor at Harvard or yeah. is at the level of a professor from Harvard. And it surveillance capitalism is something she wrote about in one of her books. And it talks about the fact that large tech companies collect more data than we think they do. In fact, mm-hmm. they collect the most minute and... Um, the most minute data that we could possibly think of. I mean, like, you know, if you sit in front of your phone and you're picking your nails, how often do you do that? Or what are you watching when or listening to when you pick your nails or, yeah, or grind we, your teeth? What are your expressions and, on your face? Yeah, that's the biggest one. How, you know, and, and not just what you're doing, but how often you do it. I mean, every minute detail is sort of is recorded. I feel like TikTok gets that information a lot because TikTok is always like it seems to know exactly what I'm doing and like recommend me to right. I think its recommendations are spot on for me. Yeah, yeah. I think even the even the most lay person can detect the sort of um, the algorithms that suggest things to us or influence what we want to say, buy or watch. So that's the surveillance part of that term. The capitalism ter- part of that term refers. To the fact that this information, this data about this personal data, this private data about every person connected to, say, a cell phone or social media is being sold. It's being um, it's being collected and then uh, put through filters, put through algorithms and, 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 and crunched, you know, calculated in many different ways in order to create predictions of where, say, like one simple example that. Yeah, um, they're not even selling your your big data what they're selling is the prediction right that's correct because i mean shoshana zuboff was saying or zuboff zuboff yeah she um yeah correct that's that's how i understood it as well in fact because the, the data of a person is immense right, right? that's yeah. too much to like really um comprehend comprehend it, it, yeah. and even in and, and use in any cohesive way right so um so that's that's basically what surveillance I think that is. is like the best name though for what's going on and what she's talking about because like I hate it so much when someone comes out with like a a name that just doesn't really jive with what, with what they're doing because she's showing the straight negativity of it by saying surveillance and capitalism it is in that, in that term, tight yeah. way. It's like she's using them in harsh ways, and it's not like she could use like big data farming or you know you know something very neutral like that. But she chose to use such a strong and visceral. Uh, set of words. I agree. I just love it. I think. I think you're right. I think she spent time even contemplating, and that's what I like about this. Uh, this woman, she's she's very smart. I would love to meet her and have a conversation with her. To me, she's like a female Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah, in she terms definitely of has a, a big heart, and she's just like, yeah. I, I, there's, there's problems here, and we can fix it. We can change it. We've gone through this before with um, industrial capitalism. It's like we can change how this works. We, we got rid of all the, the inhumane acts and things are going good now in the industry. As good as, you know, in America as we can get it. Well, I think that's a very good comparison, actually, is industrial capitalism. Because essentially what is going on is the same lack of um, regulation that occurred in the beginning of the industrial age. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, when humans discovered the ability to mass produce things... And the resources appeared limitless. 
then it was simply a matter of who could beat who to the source, who could tap it first. And that's exactly what has happened with the internet, right? The internet yeah. was an instant explosion of resources, of data. And it, and it, and we, it created, so there's a term I, I really, I learned recently that I really like, and it's neoliberalism. And it sounds like it's a political party, and I don't think it is, but maybe it is. But it, what it means, what it refers to simply, as I understand it, is that it refers to the fact that we have accepted um, this freedom that comes along with the internet, the, the fact that the internet is free, it has allowed a complete deregulation of the use of its use of its transfer of data and which is knowledge, right? That's what, what, that's what we're selling. Like the old adage says, you know, you know, the nothing is more useful than knowledge. Yeah. Right. And what has happened is that the freedom to do what we want has turned into the freedom for them to do what they want to us. When, and yeah. let's label them as say global conglomerates. I mean, what do you think about that? No, I, I totally agree. Um, Yes, yeah, it seems like we are being manipulated by by Facebook and Google and all these other, and, it, and there is no regulation on it. And it's because we pretty much gave them all our information. We signed it away on all those uh, privacy um, policies, which she, uh, which Shoshana Zuboff turns into, um, which is surveillance policies. Well, I researched, and yeah, I'll say I researched. I looked back in the past to what is the response what has changed industrial capitalism what what forced it into regulation that we grew up and what the boomers grew up with as familiar right and the only thing i could really sum it up or sum it down to was war and famine i think i couldn't think of anything else that you know there's so many policies that were made there were so many laws and ideas passed and so much struggle there but the real changes that came to regulating the industrial age was war. And I think that I think that was a big catalyst like for World, World War One and World War Two. I think that is the culmination of the world finally saying, you cannot exploit us anymore. I mean, if you look at like Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, that is the most Adolf uh the the Nazis centralized their power, right? That was their first step. They made sure that everyone was comfortable with the, the policy changes and the the rhetoric and once that was okay they manipulated it right once that knowledge once that data became a resources it was manipulated to make sure that they could not be challenged you know they didn't just walk up to the world stage overnight and claim and you know and dictate war on their neighbors right so they were a whole new party they were the the nazi party was a, it was a work party right, right. It, it was started like a, it was like a union exactly it started for the people that's yeah. where the, and that's i really feel there's a lot of similarities to this and i you know i know it seems like the go-to comparison these days and i'm not calling anyone a racist or a nazi but what do you think i mean do do we does the common man have more than just you know violence and 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 famine as a tool. I know it's weird to call those things tools, but they they have been well, used. Well, they that most way. definitely can be used as tools. I mean, just look at a pandemic. How how governments have taken advantage of their people, just just with what we've been doing in the past two years. Um, do I think that there's any other way that I, it's got to be legislation, right? Just like changing the laws, like that's just making it illegal for these companies to sell our personal data. I mean, especially when you can't even get a hold of your data yourself. Like, that's what's really messed up, that a company can buy my data, but I just can't put in an inquiry. It's like, hey, give me all the data that you have on me. 
that's something that uh, that uh, Susano Zuboff was talking about as well. Um, I haven't read her book, but I've listened to her lectures and her interviews. And she's mentioned the fact that uh, companies like Google and Facebook are collecting this this overage of data, right? There's a lot of our personal data that we don't sign away as okay for them to have that they just get anyway. Uh, and, and maybe it's somewhat implicit. Maybe they maybe the systems are set up on purpose to collect this data. I mean, that sounds like a conspiracy, but why wouldn't why wouldn't that be true? We know from Edward Snowden that the government is doing it. Well, so I, why wouldn't these you know these corporations be doing it? I don't think that it started that way, though. I don't think that it started as um, well. He's slick with Google, right? Google, um, they didn't go out intending to um, to take people's data and to then sell it. And sell predictions. What convinces you that that didn't happen? No, it, that that's not what their intention was at the beginning of the start of the company. Oh, right? you don't think so? No, because then during the do, the dot com bus, um, that's when everything changed. In the what was that two thousand? That's when they started like actually like we need to find a new source of revenue because we're all losing right now. Like all the all the the internet companies were going under, so they they decided to then sell big data they found out that this was a, like a resource that they could use an untapped resource the last virgin would if you would mm. so i think that now things are starting to come out like you got nest uh which was like a home security system or, or like a google home what is now and it did the, the thermostat i believe it was what it was didn't have was the, didn't have any um recording purposes like and yet it had a microphone but yet it had a microphone like it didn't listen to you uh and you can give it commands right it just listened so and it would report that back to well now google and they would have all your conversations your tones and they'd analyze that they'd analyze your speech and what you're what you're saying what you're doing a big example of this kind of like going awry is china with the 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 uyghur population which is like the their they're national um, Muslims, pretty much. Are they? I, I, aren't they the Muslim immigrants, or are they actually? Well, so they're, they're, they were. Um, I believe that not all. I see. I don't really know yeah. it that well, but I think that in that area, they that's what they're nationals. Like they they they're not immigrants. They were mm -hmm. they're um, natives, mm -hmm. right? Um, but China's, you know, you know, they've expanded. They're isolated, and yeah. they've. Um, they're, they've started like from their provinces, if you would, they, they've started to like put these, uh, the Uyghurs into, uh, pretty much work camps, right? And they, they're in open air prisons. And what's keeping them there is facial recognition and not being able to leave and right. like this, like these borders. And they're, they're put in horrible conditions. Things like, um, uh, the ghettos in, of Nazi, pretty much, of Nazi Germany. I mean, it's a modern version. I don't think it's a stretch to really make, like I said earlier, the comparisons to the Nazis. Um, and, and really, I, I only make that comparison because I think that's the, the best example that a Western audience understands. Well, that, that and it's, also, it's also very visceral and it's very like, like this is my extreme and it, and it applies. Right, yeah. right. Well, I noticed I watched a story on YouTube uh, of uh, people who discovered cameras, working cameras inside trees at uh, parks where protests were being held for the uh, anti-mandates for COVID. So really? it's like, yeah, but who put those cameras there, right? Is it just some some spooky, you know, neighborhood sleuth? Or See, is I, it I knew the birds were bigger? spying on me, but I didn't know that the fucking... <laughs> 
The trees work for the bourgeoisie too. I, I guess oh so goodness. too, man. Yeah, everything is cloak and dagger. It, it seems like the Cold War that we that we think of as a movie when we read in history books in public schooling is really just ongoing. It it never stopped. I mean, again with Edward Snowden. I mean, I I can't I can't emphasize enough. I think how important that man is. I mean, he for me as far as recent history is concerned, he is the biggest whistleblower in in maybe decades, if not a century. I mean, oh. he really shows, it really needs to be recognized by everyone on probably at least a weekly basis that you're being watched. Everything we do is being recorded. Yeah, right. Let's not like those programs that he talked about, uh, Edward Sorden just like went away. Right. right. It's not yeah. that, like they're still happening, the, these surveillances and like, uh, what was it? The Patriot Act, right? That's what really put, put down the, the surveillance activity of the, or, propped up the surveillance i think the patriot act is i can't think of anything else that has been as significant either i think that's the last true free government uh, what would you call it uh like not it is a mandate technically but i i guess it is now a law as well and that's the last thing I feel our government did in favor of the people because I have no i mean tell me how you feel i have no trust in governments anywhere the patriot act isn't that what um made it so that the government could spy on your phone and tap your... I thought that's what the Patriot right, was. Right, but the fact that it exists... I mean, the fact that that was a, the last telling of letting us know that our that the reins of our government were no longer in our hands. Oh, okay. I see yeah. what you're saying. I thought you were saying it was in the favor of the people. Like, how is that in the favor? It like, is. It is. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. It's a, It's in the favor of the people in the sense that it allows us to wake up a little bit. Right. No, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, so it was the last, like loud warning sign oh yeah i think so i mean i've been following very closely the trucker protest in canada and really it's a a phenomenon around the world at this point many countries are having a similar protest and the fact that the as far as like what effect we seem to have on our government is completely gone from from really any western society i don't i have there's no faith i have in anything our government does now does that doesn't seem manipulated uh, or motivated by something alien to what the people desire, right? And, and even if that, if what the people desire comes change or enforces, not enforces, but uh, promotes change from a minority, isn't that what the voice of the government is anyway? Is it speak for the little guy? Yeah, no, the government's supposed, at least in the U.S. government, it's supposed to be like, you vote for the person that aligns with your your beliefs, and they vote on your behalf, pretty much, right? Like that's the whole. Well, they they yeah they exert the power, they bend the power we give them, hopefully on our behalf, right? But and I don't know if that's ever happened. You know, I don't know. If true. It's, I think that that's the the rarity is it working correctly. Is it working how we're how we think it's supposed to work? Right. I think that. Throughout history, in any government, it's always been those who are in charge will benefit and will make things happen for them, not for the people. In their benefit. I mean, yeah, yeah they'll have to have to keep the people happy in enough so that they can get reelected or not assassinated. You know. No, I I totally agree, and as you know, I I don't believe that. Um, it, it saddens me to say this because I'm a very, you know, I think I'm a patriotic person. I'm a I'm a proud American. I love my country, but. I don't believe that voting has ever mattered on the, on the presidential stage. And even Mark Twain once wrote, if voting mattered, they wouldn't let us do it. <laughs> but um, going further with the going, well, let's let's talk about. Um, so we talked about what really, you know, what can the common man do? I don't know. Did we really go as far as with that as much? Really, as we could? really, all I think that the common man can do 
is I don't know how you get this ball rolling, but you need to change the laws. You need to make it so it's illegal for them to sell your data. Well, does the yeah does the common man? I mean, does he have any means by which to decentralize unchecked corporate and governmental power? And maybe those are the same thing now. Maybe that's one entity. I mean, what can we do to decentralize this sort of neoliberal um, capitalist, you know, uh, personal and big data tech world that we live in? So how do you decentralize a centralization? Yeah. Someone that has all. Well, so it's pretty much the monopoly. Monopoly, right? Well, we are. We're living in mon- in a monopoly. I mean, Google, Facebook, Twitter. It's it's a it's a it's a you know what a dozen big corporations that really run the world and are worth more than many of the of the countries that exist on the planet. Yeah. I mean, these are powers that go completely unchecked, even by the governments of the nations that they that they you know sell their products and and, and manipulate in. I mean, everything is lobbied. Right. That's a big that's another big yeah. problem about uh, that Zuboff talks about with surveillance capitalism is is that, you know, that was the first warning sign. I think this is me talking now, but I think that was our first warning to this over the horizon was the fact that lobbying is completely unregulated. I mean, there's nothing that stops money from influencing policy or law. Yeah, I think that's I mean, they say money is the root of all evil. Right. And then, then absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So you have all these, you know, all these temptations, you know, so no matter how virtuous you are, you're going to be, you're going to be skirting the line, you know, you're going to be on that, like, it's going to be difficult for you to stay virtuous and not to fall into that trap of power and money. Do you think your habits with modern technology will ever change and become more human in recognition or will humans continue to spiral deeper into the unknown pit of personal and big tech synchronicity so you're talking about just on the data side or are you talking about how i personally interact with my technology like my phone i'm referring to the fact that As each generation of humanity gets created, it is more and more assimilated or integrated with the personal technology and the big tech technology that the world is sort of producing. And I guess it's really more opinion-based because I feel that we are becoming less human in design by it. We're less social directly. We're less... You know, empathy is, is taking a hit. Brotherhood of man is being hurt. The things that we fought for, for, you know, to, to end separation and to create fairness in life and in, and especially in the, in the work arena, those things are being attacked again. They're being torn apart by, and what's crazy to me is they're being torn apart by the entities we helped create. These, these large social medias that, we used to communicate with are now using uh, these negative ideals that we almost obliterated from our society to separate us yet again in order to generate their their in order to generate an influence that allows them to manipulate us into you know to doing things so and i so because of that i feel we are less human and do you think we will uh do you think this pushback that we see happening now 
will will evolve and really become something to fight for our humanity? Will we change? Will we go backwards at all? I don't think that social media is intending to drive people apart. I think that's like a byproduct. I think that's just what's happening because that's what's selling. That's what's leading the numbers. So they're just going off of what's you know. But if something you on. is selling, then then it's being manipulated. I mean, if something's selling and making them rich, they want to make sure it keeps making them rich. Right, but I think I think that's a byproduct, right? I don't think that was the the intention. Really? Yeah, I think that's like that. That is the trend they found, and that is the trend they follow. So what I think is going to happen is that eventually there'll be. Uh, it's going to be like a cycle. Eventually, we'll be so driven apart from each other and we'll be depressed and we'll all be like, you know, melancholy from our technology that we'll go into this like uh, revival state where we'll start bringing, becoming more together. Maybe that's without technology, but I think that it's going to be, you know, there, it's more likely be, it'll be with. It right? will be with. And I, I, I agree and, with that. And I think we're going to become less human, though, in the sense of like our integration with technology um Neuralink is only what 20 years away if that you know right. i don't think it's very far i don't even think it's that far but just like being able to directly interface with a computer with thought i think that is that's the next step step pretty much into integration with technology and that's gonna happen oh it, it already has i've seen 15 years ago i watched a news story on on reuters that showed an East Coast, uh, the United States East Coast, mm. uh, doctor who was working with a quadriplegic man who agreed to these experimental surgeries because the man was had a long or had a short lifespan. Okay, uh, you know, predicted for him. Um, and what they were doing, what the doctor was doing, was connect. It was, it's simple an idea in in concept rather. They were connecting electrodes directly to the man's brain. And he was able to manipulate the movement based on the translation of his electro, um, his electromagnetic output of his brain. And so he had thoughts. like a EKG kind of cap going on, and then connected to this that. is directly to the brain. No, his brain, his, his skull was open, oh. and these electrodes were wired directly into his brain. Wow! And he was um, based on their research, where they could. You know, best collect or receive the electromagnetic data the brain was putting out Mm -hmm. based on the thoughts that he was having. And through his thought, this man was able to move while awake, was able to move a cursor on a screen. And they could even bring up Microsoft Paint and he could draw crude circles or crude shapes like triangles and squares. That's awesome though. Yeah. So, I mean, they... So the the research for this was is, was is is already fifteen or twenty or maybe even you know years older, right? Yeah, a couple decades old, let's say at least. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. And even even around ten to fifteen years ago, I also saw Acer was working on laptops that had cameras that tracked eye movement in order to know where on the screen you were looking. Yeah, and, and they also could, they were doing that with three uh, D uh, TVs as well. Yeah, they were they were tracking eye movement, so you wouldn't have to wear glasses with it. Yes, and you could control your TV by thought. And now you don't need to be wired to your brain. You can literally just put a hat on. You know, I, I guess kind of like a <laughs> like a like in Back to the Future when um, when Doc has that like that huge oh, like chrome dome, yeah, yeah, freaking you know like architecture that uh, that electrode architecture that goes on his head. Yeah, it had like a or antenna. Rick and Morty. Yeah. yeah. 
which is really just a ripoff of Back to the Future. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you in that. I I think we will become. I think what it means to be human is going to change. That definition is going to change and become something more biomechanical, android-like. Even mm-hmm. I don't agree that. Uh, where I don't agree with you is that this is a byproduct. I I think I think it's very clear, at least to me, that a lot of the 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 negative and the positive positive but especially the the negative practices on social media are influenced i don't think that they were that are that they're all accidental or uh sort of candid let's say well i think that 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 was the evolution though right that it now now it is being influenced it is being they they're seeing the numbers right so they're following the trend and they're punching in the numbers i see what you're saying i mean at least i think i understand what you're saying is that in the infancy of the internet and social media, people were because people are just crass to be in general, right? We're we're rude, we troll, we we do that on general, whether we mean it or not. It is a um, a negative response or a negative output that we often have, in part probably or maybe mainly in part to the anonymity we think we have. Yeah, I think and, that's a big part. Is yeah, that there's not an actual person. You you can't see the emotional state. You know, you can't see how your words are affecting them. So you Absolutely. don't have, you lose all empathy <laughs> yeah, and, and sense of responsibility since you, you feel like you're hidden. No, I absolutely agree. Even Louis C.K. made a joke about it once on uh, Conan uh, where, well, it was a joke, but it was actually quite telling. He made, he explained that, you know, when you're a child, you, uh, you say rude things to other children because you're testing it out, right? Because being, being rude, being mean is fun. At least initially, the the exhilaration it causes. Mm-hmm. But then when you see how it can hurt someone and how it can make them feel, that's when your empathy kicks in. Yeah. Right, that you mentioned that's when you realize that, that you know I wouldn't like that to happen to me. But when you do it through a text, you don't you don't that doesn't register at all. So all you get is the 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 dopamine hit of being mean without any of the of uh, the recourse, any of the consequence. I think that's a that's a that's a very important. Uh, point yeah that you made got nothing no i don't have anything else to add to that (laughs) but i do see how that stuff can be addicting addicting you know they say that um a lot of social media um can actually you can have uh a, uh, a mental addiction to social media See, I don't, I don't feel that way because maybe most social media is not geared towards my um, media consumption. I don't read, so like reading text, even from like um, on Facebook, like that's not something for me. I don't like the way that Facebook's laid out. It's not a good UI. Um, what else? Like YouTube, I, I guess, um, but I have a problem with their algorithm. Like it just doesn't work. Like I think YouTube's algorithm sucks booty i agree like it's it's suggested videos and like home video like home screen is like the worst like it like none of these videos i want to watch half of them are ones i've already seen before why would i want to watch them again the the other half are ones i'm subscribed to well, that's what my subscription feed is for i go there to watch the channels i'm subscribed to and then the others are like 
I put on audiobooks a lot to go to sleep too. So it's like none of these are things I want to watch randomly in the middle of the day. And I'm like very time specific with vi- different videos I watch. Like in the morning, I want to watch something silly and goofy that I don't care about because I'm not going to remember it because I'm still waking up. In the afternoon, I'm watching my subscriptions. And then late at night before I go to bed or as I'm going to bed, I'm listening to some kind of long, boring talk or, um, or audiobook. So like YouTube is the worst for me. Um, but what I do see is iFunny and TikTok. Their algorithms are on point and are get me suckered in good. I wouldn't call it an addiction because I can go days without thinking about it and really caring if I see it or not. But like when I'm on it, it keeps me there. It is really good at keeping me there because it, it is a major time suck. So do you have any um, social media platforms that you're really drawn to or that you could even say that you were halfway addicted to maybe? Well, first, first I agree that, um, I mean, everything is physical and therefore everything can be addicting. I mean, the brain is a, is a drug factory. It, it creates addiction. Yeah. So, I mean, I know I'm not trying to. Um, when they say physical addiction, though, that means that there's a physical withdrawal symptoms. That it's not just like your, your mental state. It, it's like you get headaches, you get well, body I, cramps, and you get all these other things. That's usually what they mean by physical addiction. But that, but that does occur, and I and I notice also that there, there, you know, sometimes it, it gets overlooked, and maybe it's subtle, but there, there is definitely withdrawal effect with social media. And I don't think of myself as someone who abuses social media as bad as say the modern 20 year old or 20 something, but I do abuse it. Uh, and while you were explaining your routines, I would say, I would think of an analogy. So for example, you mentioned that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, right away, you listen to, you watch or listen to something goofy, right? Just because it, what drowns out its background noise or it drowns oh, dude, out. I, the, the, my own thoughts are the worst. Okay. You know, so, I, I just don't want to be thinking. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> that's the main thing. So it, it is a sort of medicine. It, it is medicating you in a way. And yeah, it's a throughout the day, sure. I would guess, you didn't mention it, but I would guess in some way, at some points in the day, you are thinking about your subscriptions or the media that you do enjoy and how and when you will enjoy it. Right. And then when you come home, you you partake and then right before you go to sleep you partake now that sounds like a normal day right and i thought of two analogies one is a newspaper but if you went back in time and what you had said had nothing to do with youtube it was a newspaper or a magazine right you got the funnies in the morning or even a book right different books but what if the analogy instead was alcohol what if you were drinking as soon as you woke up in the morning? What if you were thinking about drinking while you were at work? What if you were drinking as soon as you got home from work, right after dinner, right before sleep, every day? So that is technically, so, I think, I think when you change the way you look at it, it starts to look like an addiction. And then when you think of it, if you label it or recognize it rather as an addiction, then you begin to see the consequences of it, the side effects from it. Now, Everything we do as a human being, I think, is a management of stress, right? I Mm. mean, everything. Think about it. You know, when you twiddle your thumbs or you you bite on your lip or you tap a pencil, you are managing stress. And throughout the day, your brain requires that you do that. Um, And and there's probably a lot of answers to why. But it just, as an observer of it, I think that that's what we do constantly while we're awake. Even now, we are managing stress as we converse. Mm Mm-hmm. So I do think 
Um, you can call it mental, you can call it physical. Maybe that's a you know potato, potato, but it is an addiction or can be abused. I would say when I'm at work though, I do think about my videos that I want to watch because a lot of time, like uh, I'm just standing around at work sometimes, and I'm like I could be using my time way better by watching something educational because that's what most of my YouTube subscriptions are are science based and history and and different you know academic. Um, videos Mm -hmm. so like that's why I that's why they pop in my head it's like I just want to be using my time wisely because right now I'm not doing anything and I'm wasting and that's especially as I get older I guess I'm thinking about that more and more it's like is this waste of my time and a lot of of the time the answer is yes this is a waste of my time it's like whatever I'm doing it's a difficult thing to um, convince or unconvince ourselves from is the, the value of our time and I, I struggle as you do, and in some ways maybe, I don't know, maybe we differ slightly in, in the sense that I run into the existential conundrum that it is both a waste of time and a wonderful use of it. Meaning that, yes, when you consider a human life or your own human life and how short it really is, and that that may be all you have... Yes, life becomes emergent. It sounds like an emergency, right? You're running out of time mm-hmm. as, as far as like the hours are countable, uh, let's say by fate, okay. from when you will no longer have time to do the things you think you want to do or want to do. The other flip, the other side of that coin is that time is running out and life is short. That doesn't change. But you can look at it differently and say, well, then why am I worrying? Why not just be flippant? Why not be boisterous and eccentric and sort of just test every electric fence, you know, meta- uh, metaphorically in, in in an attempt to be as, I don't know, as vibrant a person or, uh, you know, an, a conscious entity as you can. And so I, I bounce between those two thoughts. Somewhere in the middle, I, I hope to land because <laughs> I want to be useful with my time. But at the same time, I don't want to be ruled by the constant worry of it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I see that. What we were talking about a little bit earlier, we're going to touch on I want to touch on neoliberalism a little bit more. The neoliberal atmosphere uh, we adopted as consumers has put us up against the wall in terms of losing our trust or our ability to trust growth in any sphere that was once regulated. So not just, uh, you know, agriculture, but, or let's say, for example, but also politics, you know, lawmaking, anything that humans in our society need. Um, Because I think the most, and maybe the most important sphere of growth is the sharing of knowledge or data, which is what surveillance capitalism is about the freedom to do what we want and whatnot um do you think do did we give away our last bone has the consumer become completely shackled is there nothing left where are we now are we at the precipice of a, a great positive change or are we buckling for another world war well i think that we always have time to change uh, the, the way that it's structured we we don't have to be stuck in this way of like you know selling our data to these companies we can we can change this the whole model of the internet how though i mean for example look at canada right now the prime minister justin trudeau is completely stonewalling um 
those who oppose him, the citizens of Canada that oppose his um, his mandates. So he, in, in other words, I mean, he's in, he's in, he's invoked uh, an emergencies act, which is something similar to what we did during 9-11 in America, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, it's kind of like martial law, but for yeah. the entire country. Now, this is, what's unique about this is that Clearly, I think even the most sta- even the most staunch defender of, say, Trudeau's party has to at least admit that he isn't motivated by the things he claims he is saying. That he's clearly motivated by a power greater than his own, which can only be something corporate, right? It can only be something that is is global in yeah. terms of in in terms of influence, and. Where do we, how do, what do I, I just, I get lost in thinking like, what power do I have? In fact, usually the argument with, ends with myself telling myself that I need to just think about something else because I, <laughs> I can't do anything. Well, uh, Shoshana uh, Zuboff says that privacy is not a private matter. And privacy is a collective matter. That it's everyone's problem. It's not just your yes. problem. So we need to come together as a people, as a group that is tired of our information being sold, uh, lack of privacy, lack of respect, all this, you know, and actually start change within the government. I agree. And I don't know. There's different ideas about what the alternative internet would be and how you would make money um, beyond selling people's data because ads would still be there. There's still going to be ads. They just won't be targeted, right? Because that then in this... Uh, potential future be uh, illegal to to sell that information, which I think is way better as a consumer anyways, because Mm -hmm. I cannot think of one time I have ever bought anything because of an ad I saw. Like I know Mountain Dew exists. Like I, I don't need. I, I don't care about your new shower head. Ah, but that is the ad. the The real ad, the real advertisement, is in your mind. What that it's like that the fact that, that you know that you know it exists and that you want to tr- that you at some point wanted to try it or were, were willing to that is the success of the advertisement. You had choices, like you said, you always have a choice, but at some point you chose to drink a Mountain Dew and then decided you liked it. So that is a success of an advertisement. I don't know about that with like Mountain Dew, but I can see what you're saying. With like, I don't know. I can't think of any real products that I have seen an ad for that I hadn't tried as an adult. You know, well, when think of when something was introduced to you in general. Let's say as a child, but it could be as adult. It, it works the same as an adult, really. Uh, a new type of drink, like the first time you had a cola, right? You didn't argue with the person who offered it to. Well, I don't know if I want to try Coke. Why don't you bring me a Coke, a Pepsi, an RC, a Dr. Pepper, and a Mr. Pibb? And then after some deliberation, I'll decide which of those I want to try, if any. He didn't say that. He just took the cola and drank it and said, hmm, it's sweet. It's wonderful. Yeah, I've done that with other pro- other products That's before. my point. I've done, I've done yeah. that with products before where I'll take multiples and like you know taste test them and remember, oh, I like this one. I don't like this one. That one was good. You know? And each of them, but part of, yeah, but either way, the advertisement is in your mind, I guess. Is, I'm just repeating my point. Yeah, but, but I don't think it needs to be targeted, though. Well, I think that's a really good point you made. And and um, 
I think she makes that point as well as far as the targeting of ads because I think that's a big positive change in the right direction. It's a backwards change, but I think if we're going to have, if we're going to fight back in a non-violent way, that's a good way to do it is to remove the algorithms that decide for us what we want to, what we want to do, what we want to buy, I should say. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, um, that was the beginning stage was, was there was just straight regular ads like you would see on a billboard, right? Right. And then, then it became targeted ads and then it became not just targeted ads, but targeted feeds. So you're, so yeah, that was the evolution. And then it became not just like targeted ads, but, um, targeted feeds. So Facebook has done literal experiments on populations to see if they can change their voting habits. Not necessarily to see, to change who they vote for, but getting them to vote to begin with, which seems altruistic, but it's an experiment to see what they can get away with, right? Like how, how manipulative can they be? Um, they also tried to change your mood, uh, by showing you more positive or negative, uh, posts on your feed and uh then by the data collection what they were doing was seeing how many positive words you were then would be or negative words you'd be then using in your own posts um regardless of the results i've heard mixed results i heard some people say like oh they didn't do anything like they they, the the results were they it's they can't change your mind and then then i see other people say that like like shoshana uh zuboff was saying that that it did change people's opinions and it did change like how they express themselves. And there was real world consequences with these experiments. That's where the danger starts to come and lie. I don't think advertisements are the real danger. Yeah, they're annoying and it's ridiculous to have this information. And I think that's wrong on a personal level. Like I think that's just like a, an invasion of privacy, but I don't think they really shouldn't be using data to manipulate people's behavior like that's where it becomes like messed up that's what becomes a dystopian science fiction i think that's yeah. where we we lose you know you know the the common it, what does it mean anymore at that point to be human we are if you can turn us into robots what's the point of making them right yeah and another thing is that like you don't hear much about this topic like i don't know if it's oh, because it's it's well. seemingly boring or but but you just don't hear people talking about surveillance capitalism and not just those words but in like the sense of big data you don't really hear people talking about that but what you do have on the news is antifa proud boys black lives matter you know all these social uh outraging you know uh themes but like no one's talking about the everyone like this affects everyone this isn't just like you know uh you know one color versus another color or whatever this is this is indiscriminate of race color uh it doesn't gender. matter like yeah. it does it doesn't care you're a person you got data we're gonna sell you like that's that's messed up well you know i think that yeah i agree and i think um what's important to notice is that what we own and what we don't own and so much of who we are, we don't own. We don't own our privacy. Therefore, there's no argument when it, when it's taken. We don't own even our own blood, our own genetic, our own genome. We don't we don't own our own genes. If your if your blood is determined, you know, if it's if it's discovered in a lab that your blood could cure, uh, I don't know, a form of cancer, and they develop a, a medicine synthetically from it, you don't get credit. 
Mm. You know, so every, there's a lot about us that we just don't own that is, you know, that we just have no control over because of that. I think that would make a big change too. I, I think if that, somehow we could fight for the ownership of our privacy, right. at least in part of who we are as a person, then we would, re, we'd be worth even more. We'd be worth even more and we would have a stake in the game. And that's the last thing they want us to do. I mean, what you talked about, like what the news talks about, I can give you two words, Propaganda censorship that's mainly what's going on when it comes to like the legacy medias for example mm. i mean i've looked at test groups i've looked up um videos of test groups and what the results were and most people today at least from the test groups i watched use social media for their news i mean even the people that would side with what the propaganda might be saying don't agree that they're giving it that they're getting the cleanest version of it. Yeah, this, not, they don't even believe that they're lying is the honest version yeah. of the lying. You want to know where I get my news from? I get my news from iFunny because <laughs> because I stopped following the news because it was so biased. And there, I used to watch, uh, listen to NPR, but then when Trump got elected, all they do was bad talk Trump with no other, you know perspective and that's one of the things Orange i liked about man, bad uh, yeah that's what i liked about npr because it seemingly had multiple perspectives throughout the day not anymore and they don't and so i'm like well i guess i'm done with news yeah and then like iFunny happens to have current events because they're it's a very topical app right why not tap into it so like right. they, so people use current events as a, as a humor aspect so i will hear about the invasion of gaza you know <laughs> jeez or the ukraine well, it's been an interesting conversation uh, with you today, Zach, about surveillance capitalism. I know, and, there, and there's so much more, like Pokemon Go going from click-through rate to uh, to footfall rate. That oh, was something we that didn't blew, even touch on that before we that go. Blew Let's my talk mind. about that. That's something she uh, she mentions often, Shushana Zuboff. Yeah, in um in her conversations when being interviewed. So yeah, you brought it up. So explain okay. that. So wow. Okay, so. Pokemon Go, the system that's built on the whole like uh, view the world through like this AR uh, AR system, which is alternate reality, right, or altered reality, um, that was created by CIA, and then Google bought that program, and then Google sold that program to itself as, as a as a <laughs> as a hidden like uh, third party, or I guess at this point it's a fourth party, right, uh, entity. And they used that to um, to track you pretty much, right? So now it's a tracking app. It has it knows everything about you. And the idea was, okay, so we got click through rate, like on your on your websites, like how many people, how many clicks are you getting per like view? Um, but that turned into footfall rate. How do we get people to go to businesses and to see these things? Well, with mm-hmm. Pokemon gyms, of course, like everyone loves Pokemon. So it's like, so to your click-through rate is now footfall rate, and you're actually going to these businesses and buying the ice cream with the coupon you, you were given earlier that day for an ice cream cone. It's like... Isn't that mind-blowing? You think you're playing a video game. How manipulated game. That is that? Is, like, yes. my goodness. You can't like, tell me that's an accident, right? When it's no, clear. No, no, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it started as an accident, right? <laughs> Way back in 1990, that's when it, this all began. It was, I don't think it, there was a, uh, uh, I don't think there was many people out there like, yeah, we're going to manipulate this to become this and this. It's just like, this is, it's, it's natural evolution. Like, this just happened. But it can change, like Shoshana said. I hope it can change because one thing that scares me is that 
there's no evidence that I could think of or find that suggests humans are willing to be satisfied, that we will ever reach a point where we just don't want more discovery, we don't want more innovation, we don't want, you know, where we're, where we're happy not letting our imagination, our imagination completely own, you know, every facet of our, of our, of our technology and and social existence. I mean, that's what I hope for, um, is that somehow this merging of, of man and metal of man and machine rather will allow us to discover true satisfaction to just create a society that doesn't change much and is satisfied it's okay with what it is right that prices don't keep going up that there isn't a reinvention of the of the same old thing just to get your attention that advertisements will no longer be needed now i know that sounds very dystopian and like communistic but i don't mean that version of what i'm talking about i guess i'm i'm, I'm talking about something we uh, an outcome similar to that maybe parallel to that mm-hmm. that we agree to come to not as enforced upon us or manipulated. Well, I, I think that, yeah, it'd be like being led that way. Being right? led, right. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure, uh, listeners, that you check us out on and follow us on Twitter, Audio Pong. We're very easy to find. It's a great way to directly communicate with us as well and to see who we're listening to. Check out our friends that we follow and other podcasts that we're interested in. And it's also great if you contact us to let us know what you want to hear, what topics do you want Zach and I to talk about, or what can we add to the show that you think would be interesting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always open to suggestions, new ideas. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is to learn and to grow. And if we can help you do that, and if you can help us learn and grow, like, man, that's what I'm all about is knowledge. Check us out on Patreon as well. Again, Audio Pong, very easy to find. And TikTok. Um, we just signed on to TikTok, so who knows where that's going to go. <laughs> it can get pretty goofy. Maybe uh, maybe you'll be a little sane. It depends on how I'm feeling on the day. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. If you like what you're hearing. Or even if you don't, that also helps. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're still listening. Then please consider supporting the show. We're working hard on our passion to create quality content, and we want to bring you much more. Indeed, we've got big plans for what we want to add to Audio Pong, and we'd also love to hear from you, the audience, on topics or content Zach and I can create for you. Visit AudioPong on RedCircle.com for more information on where to support the show and where to listen. Also, feel free to contact us directly through email with AudioPong at gmail.com. Be happy. Be healthy. And and have have a metal metal life. life.